Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, a podcast for new and aspiring leaders within the transportation and logistics industry. I'm your host, AP, and along with Matt Loggins, we have over 20 years of combined experience within the transportation and logistics industry. But more importantly, we're young, hungry, and nimble, and we've used that to our advantage to navigate, advance, and grow in an ever-changing industry. So without further ado, here is the Driving Force Podcast. All right, welcome to the Driving Force Podcast. Matt and I are very excited about today's podcast. Yes, AP, today we're going to dive into human resources. Yes, so today we have Brent Bear, who is a Chief Administrative Officer at DuPre Logistics. Uh, he graduated from University of Louisiana at Lafayette with a Bachelor's in Business Administration and then went on to complete his Master's in Psychology at Louisiana State University. Brent has over 25 years of experience in the industry, and I believe his experiences, the lessons he's learned, can really benefit and add value to our audience. Yeah, Brent, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. I know you're busy. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Glad to be here. So let's dive into it. So, Brent, walk us through your journey into transportation, uh, specifically coming out of college and what your mindset was at the time. All right. So way back in college, man, 25 years ago, uh, I'll, I'll highlight some, I think what I think are some of the learning you know, learnings I've taken along the way that might, might help give some backdrop to some of my thoughts today. So I finished a master's program like AP was talking about, uh, and I got accepted to a PhD program in San Diego. But being a poor college kid, I needed a year to save up for in-state tuition. So I went out there, got a job, got a job at a psych facility, and that place got shut down at the time. So I just decided to go back into youth ministry, which is what I did through college, because it allowed me to work evenings, weekends, around school. So I got kind of got back into that, found me a place on the beach, and then Start working youth ministry it was a really good experience. I really enjoyed doing that. Probably when I retire, I'll probably go back to something like that. It's a great laboratory experience for me, especially with leadership skills, which is portion what I was focused on in my master's was looking at leadership skills and I was looking at servant leadership and how did that translate to the business world. And so youth ministry really gave me an opportunity to look at that. In ministry, you first have to serve others to learn to be the leader. And it really kind of fit with some of the, the servant leadership models that that I had studied in college. So what was unique about that youth ministry experience is I got to deal with adults from all walks of life. And these were businessmen, businesswomen, uh, mothers who would come in and wanted to volunteer for these programs. So I developed this five-day adult and youth leader training program uh, for across the diocese there in San Diego. And we would actually do a five-day training program where we started off where we're teaching young people how to be young leaders and they start off just participating in the program but every day we're letting go and we're giving them more to do uh, to learn those leadership skills that sounds like a great thing but that hardest thing was for my leaders my adult leaders to let go um, and it was just an amazing thing to watch because as any leader and i'm sure ap and matt you know this as you have people underneath you the hardest thing to do is let go and let somebody else do it a different way very telling you know for us adults uh, but a really good program learned a lot from that and took a lot of that you know, as I as I transitioned. So spent about five years in Southern California, was coming home more often than than not flying back for festivals and Bhutan and things of that nature. And so um, I decided to move back. Um, and I learned a whole lot there about vision, values, mission, and what role that plays in driving, driving for a cause or driving for, for what you're trying to accomplish. 
Learned a lot about servant leadership, team building, and really mostly about the power of self-directed learning as opposed to classroom learning, but really self-directed where somebody really wanted to direct their own because they had a, had a vision. It started with that. So I learned that in all great institutions, that the vision, the value, and mission has to be there. It has to be the guiding star. Same thing for corporations. You have to have a star to, to, to bring to. Why is that important? Because leadership has to drive from that. Leadership is always going back to that vision, values, and that mission to help focus on what you're trying to accomplish. Not on the leaders, but what are you trying to accomplish? What I learned from that is, well, is that that's great, but you, the choice of your team members become really important. So as a servant leader, you really need to look at all parts of your team and see, do you have the right team members? For instance, when I was in youth ministry, we take the best kids and we try to put them in leadership roles. And, and when I, I used to assess them because I had a psych degree, right? So I had a group of kids that were just like the best. I mean, couldn't have picked better families, better individuals, and they were a leadership team. They got nothing done, nothing done. And you know why? They didn't get anything done because when I assessed them and I, I looked at their background, they were all like exactly the same. So in, in a leadership team, you play multiple roles. You don't need the same leaders. You need to play off each other. And so when it was time to do something. They all wanted to do one thing versus the five things that needed to be done. And they weren't representative. So I learned a lot there. And I learned a lot about self-direction and motivation at the time where, and then many of the people that got things done from the first lesson, they really didn't have a lot of time on their hands, but they were always in demand. So as I returned home, I transitioned into industrial construction. I decided not to go off and do a master's I really wanted to get back into business. My first degree was in business and then I had the master's and I had to figure out, okay, how am I going to apply this? And so I transitioned to running a training facility in Baton Rouge, an industrial construction environment. It was a associated builders and contractor. So it was a open shop training facility opposite a union, union training. And this was craftsmen that we took craftsmen leaders who were working during the day and would train at night and they're training young people uh, in their craft. A very good learning experience there. Uh, also learned a lot about how to, to bring people in and, and lead them through a process of learning. And again, self-directed learning was always much better. We could have people move at a much faster pace than, than if we just put them in a classroom. They would learn a little bit, do a little bit, learn a little bit, do a bit. It was very, very hands-on. After that, I transitioned in the industrial world to for Greco. It's a temporary utilities company. It's a global company, um, which is was headquartered out of uh, New Iberia, Louisiana. I ended up working with them and becoming a business analyst analyst, quasi-operational excellence role. So I was an analyst on the business side where they were putting in software and they needed somebody to come in and learn the business and then translate it to, to IT and what they what was needed. Uh, so it was a really great way for me to learn the organization. From that, got exposed to a lot of different parts of the company. Uh, they then needed to start a training department. So I was tagged for that because that was my industry training and background for school. Started the training program, did well with that, uh, then then transitioned into HR. That's how I got into HR and kind of was, they were grooming me, I think, for, for future roles in HR. So I was a business partner in HR and was assigned sales and, and, and leadership training. Greco moved his corporate office to Houston. Now, I had a kid and a family at the time, so unable to move. So that's when I transitioned to where I am now, which is Duper Logistics. Uh, that was 14 years ago. When I first started here, guys, we were like maybe 80 million. So right now we're you know knocking on 300 million. So we're a quarter of the size that we were today. 
So it was a lot different, a lot smaller. I knew everybody, right, <laughs> at, at the time. And what I, what I did is I started off looking at, they didn't have an HR department, so it was kind of a one-man show. Remember Reggie? Reggie, uh, as the owner, is a, he's very uh, cutting edge at times. And so they started looking, they were looking for something very different. He says, look, I don't want you to come and do HR. I don't want to talk about HR. He says, we, we, we're, we're safety run. We have a lot of compliance. I really want you to be a business person. That's one of the reasons they hired me, because I was more business-oriented than, than maybe compliance. And I said, look, I need you to come in and look at our leadership. We've, we've grown to a certain point, but we can't, we seem to have hit a wall. Can, can you come in and evaluate leadership? And so that was kind of kind of daunting because I was like, you know, it's probably not just your leadership. It's probably a lot of things. So I said, look, I'll, I'll do it, but it's going to be probably a three to five year thing. Are you committed to a three to five year plan? He said, well, yeah, but just come in and, and tell us what you think. I remember asking, I said, look, I, I'll do it, but I need three months in the field first. You need to learn your business and figure out what's going on. And they agreed to that. Of course, uh, Tom Volpe was here at the time and Tom was a really good manager really good leader who helped build the company and probably after two days he wanted to know what I what I thought. Right. Said, look, just just give me some time. Did the analysis and really came back and said, listen, initially it's not your leadership. We just there's a you grew up and you grew up from 1980 till till now and you've you've outgrown and not had the systems and some things in place. We're gonna need to back up and and try to to document and do some heavy lifting and do some things before we, before you really can grow. So that's we really started doing that. We started looking at building job profiles, looking at competency models for the jobs, uh, and then building assessments off of that. Interview guides, performance management templates, merit pay process. I mean, offer letters, just simple things like when. I took the job, guys. I remember Doug Place saying, hey, we, we want you to come on board. I said, great. I, I, you know, I'll wait and get an offer letter. He says, no, no, just shake our hand. That's good. I'm like, well, you know, before I leave this other company, I'm probably going to have to have something in writing. And it just wasn't a lot of that then. But again, it was it, the company was evolving, right? And so it was a great opportunity for, for my background, my experience of coming in. Usually companies are probably... 300 million before they are somebody in organizational development or leadership development. Reggie was looking out in, in advance, and I think that was that was wise of him. So I spent some time doing that, and then I actually inherited the driver recruiting department. So we did some streamlining there and putting in some some software, but not not a whole lot, you know, from that point. And once the company kind of grew to the next size, then. I got promoted up to be chief people officer. It was really more when we started the HR HR piece. Uh, when we uh, we took a, we had a decision to make. So as a company, we have a lot of people who've been here a long time, right? And we have a mixture of new blood and 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 really experienced people. So I had an opportunity saying, should we hire a bunch of HR people come in? I already know this, but don't know transportation. There's not a lot of HR transportation people in Lafayette, Louisiana. Or, or, or do we grow and grow our own? So we decided to grow our own, uh, and so. Jude Reiners, who's one of the HR managers today, he he started out as a driver, was in dispatch, and I played pretty much every role within Dupre back when we ran on big chief tablets and things of that nature. But but he really knows the company, really knows the people. It started the recruiting department, was open to the opportunities. So we really started the HR department with Jude and I and saying, look, I'm going to teach everything from scratch. And we're able to do that and then have grown and then put in benefits and then put in other pieces of it, legal support, compensation, re-engineered how we looked at the driver, driver recruiting, added professional recruiting, put in some software, did a lot of things to get it 
kind of get us to where we could support the business. And that was the second phase. And then on my current job, since then, we transitioned to chief administrative officer. This was more of a where Reggie had a couple of his, his managers retire, the three guys who had grown the business, and he wanted to move from being a family-run business and a family-managed business to a, still a family-run business, but a professionally-managed business. And so he needed to build out the leadership team. And one of the roles is that chief administrative officer is really looking at strategy and 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 making sure not just the, and so not not the one who writes the strategy, but the one who's going to guide the strategy and bringing people together and then saying, do we have the support and the resources and everything in place that's that's necessary to to hit your strategy, to actually execute on your strategy. So things like putting in an OPEX department, which I had experience with and did before while I was at uh, at Greco, also building us a a strat team. So now we we currently meet with 40 of our top leaders three, four times a year, which which we kind of toss to them saying, what is our strategy going to be? Where are we going? What's our five-year plan? How are we going to get there? Uh, And then having initiatives coming out of that. And so part of my job is to lead those and facilitate those and then, and then facilitate the execution coming out of that. And, and and with a backdrop, with all that being said, is make sure we have the resources. Are we still tied to our vision, mission, and values and that we want to be an ideal place to work for logistics professionals and how do we get there? So, so more of a strategic role and that meant succession planning and getting other HR people involved so that we can still support the business. So that kind of takes us to where, where we are today, guys, and what my current role is. Appreciate you sharing that, Brent. Um, well, kind of going along with that, who were some of the mentors along the way when you were getting into HR originally? And, and were there mentors in other areas that, that you also reached out to? Hey, interesting. So we've looked at mentorship programs. And I've studied a little bit and looked at, at how do you how you use them. But some recent research that came out that, that really the highlight of it was the study finds that, that mentors are very important. So 76% of the people who were surveyed said, man, it's really important. But only 37% of those people actually had a mentor. The, the highlight of the story, uh, the study was it's important, but very few people have one. So, so you got to ask yourself, why? Well, why? Why is that the case? And, and back Back when my when my dad was growing up and, and all, and when you had the more of an industrial revolution and, and past the recession, uh, great recession, and all this stuff, you you really went to work a place and you stayed and you kind of ha- could have a mentor. But times have changed a lot, hasn't it? Well, I mean, and so mentors would be the people who you were attached to. They were your trainers, right? They, they eventually became people that you can confide in and share thoughts on and things like that, right? Well, think, yeah. And think about, think about the unions and came up and you, you had, you had, you had somebody that was training you all the way through. And so it was even designated as a, as a mentor that, that led you through the process. And so they became your trainer and, and probably guided you for much of your life. And as you stayed at that company, you might, you might've transitioned to one or two as people retired, but it, the, the system was different, right? So today, that's not quite how it works. Most people don't don't retire where they where they start to work. So it got me thinking. You know, what, who who's been my mentor? Because I, I mean, I haven't had a lot of jobs, but I've had enough to where I've had to go to different companies to to learn different things. When I look at a mentor, I mean, yeah, I've had some maybe within the work environment, 
I, I really look more to to my grandfather on um, my mother's side, who was a construction worker. You know, ran his own own business. You know, so as a businessman, construction worker, did I really start to think of him and saying, you know, that's probably where it was. So it was when I was growing up, he would tell us stories, which which just really enamored me. And I would I'd get to go to the job sites and and we'd bring food and get to hang out and and got to meet a lot of people. And my grandfather, I'd say, how how you, how you get all this stuff done? There's so much you get done. He said, listen, it's very simple. You choose the man or the woman who has no time. That's who you, that's that's who you get to get the job done. And, and guys, th- that really made no sense to me. I was like, huh? It didn't make sense at all. But it, it, but my grandfather was the kind of man who he didn't have a lot to say all the time. But when he talked, people listened. Sixth grade education because he had to he had to get out there and work. So they were sharecroppers and had had to had to farm. Didn't really get a chance. But when he spoke, people listened. So kind of kind of took it with a grain of salt and said, well, he probably knows what he's talking about, but not sure. And, and all he said to me is, hey, go, go ask your grandmother. She'll tell you how everything gets done. I just kind of blew it off, right? Because it didn't make sense to me at the time. But it took me some time to figure this out. Actually, years it took me to figure this out. It just kind of stuck with me because I, I could see it in my dad. I could see what he was saying is true. I look at my dad. I look at some of my uncles. I look at a lot of craftsmen. I grew up around a lot of craftsmen. When, when we went to build our house, I mean, it was all people who I knew, right? They were all great craftsmen, bricklayers and pipe fitters and and, and plumbers and uh, you name it, you know, a, a carpenter, finished carpenter workers, uh, roofers, you know, but they all were just really good at what they did. So I, I knew there was some, some rightness to what he was saying because they, they get the job done. They get it done right. You know, when I think back and say, choose that man or woman or that person who had no time, they always get it done. I just finally said, you know, I have to think this through and say, Pop, I don't get it, you know? <laughs> and he just looked at me quietly, took a cigarette out, flicked the ashes and said, look, there's a reason that man or that woman has no time. There's a, but they always get the job done. He says, look, you want to figure it out. Look at who that person is. Look at their priorities. Look at how they work. Look at the people around. Look at the things they don't do. Probably more important, but mostly watch the way that they serve others. They lead by serving others. They get the job done and they bring people along with them. They never get the job done by themselves. And matter of fact, he said, I have this book. So I'm looking around. I don't see any darn book, right? I never saw my grandfather with a book, you know, like to read, but never saw him writing much other than, you know, uh, construction calculations and stuff where he says, I write notes on all those people. Say, I'm a general contractor. I'm, I'm responsible and I got to make sure the job gets done. So I write this stuff down. I have to manage them. Most of the times, I don't say nothing. I say nothing to them. Just write it in my book. And of course, you know, I'm like, I still never saw it. Book. He said, but look, when it's time, like there's a new contract or they need something and they, they want to know if they're going to get it, I just open up the book and I read it to them. And he'd say that all the time. And I was just like, you do what? And he says, yeah. He says, I just read it to them. And it's figuratively, but, but I kind of knew what he meant. In other words, I'm watching. I notice. Everybody else notices. And I said, Pop, what, what do you mean? He said, well, look, simple. When I asked you to do something, did you get it done? What'd you promise to do? And what you didn't promise to do? What'd you get done? Did you renegotiate with me? Did you say, okay, if you want that done, this has got to be pushed? Did you tell me, yes, it could be done. I need more of this. I need more of that. So he says, look, that makes a difference when you're trying to get the job done. And says, when it's time for the next job, I just, he says, listen, you got to pick the right people with the right skills, with the right attitude. If you're going to work side by side with them, you got to be proud of what you do. And if they're not proud of what they do and they're not going to get done, what they promised done, then you don't need to be working. So that's something we talked about, at least talked about on our episode is, is being able to, to take care of what you got to take care of your responsibilities 
but also being able to seek things that offer you opportunities to grow and ex- expand yourself, your horizons. And so the only way you can do that is by taking care of what you got to take care of and stretching and growing yourself when those opportunities come. So what your grandfather was teaching you is that, you know, the people who are able to do that may not have the, the time to, but they always figure it out. They always prioritize correctly. They always do things in a proper manner. And to your point, they, they either delegate or uh, or bring along people that can help them achieve the goals. Right. And they're accountable. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. And so so I, I, I do think my grandfather was teaching along the way as part of, part of his nature. He, he was a teacher and he was very good at, and very patient at doing that. But it was, it was about his craft. But here, here's the trick that it took me years to really learn what you just said, AP, was about learning what you can do and what you can't do is that you got to bloom where you plant it. You must do this or be what he was saying in areas you were created. God has given us gifts and talents. Each of us is different, you know, and he says, you got to use them wisely. So if you're, you know, when I need you, I need you. So he's the general contractor. He needs a plumber. So I need you to do the plumbing. I don't need you to do this. I need you to do this well, right? And you, you But you got to know what your gifts and talents are and you got to be intentional about it. You got to trust those gifts and talents so they guide you into what you, what you need to be doing. The flip side of that is, is I think, having that spatial awareness to understand what you're good at, what you're not good at. Because uh, I, I think a lot of people are, are struggle with that, finding those blind spots. And when somebody kind of, you know, either directs you into recognizing that blind spot, you don't get offended by it. You take it into consideration and say, well, either I, I, I didn't know that I had that blind spot or... Thank you for bringing it to my attention, but you know most people when they get exposed to those those in those situations, they act one or two ways: either accept it and they grow from it, or they accept it and they shut down and, and curl up and, and don't 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 offer expose themselves anymore to to protect themselves. Why do you think that is even more important today? I mean, why do you think that happens today, or what do you think causes that? in our society. I think we all put this facade on, right? We all we all have this facade that we want to put up the be- we want to be the best version of ourselves at all times. Not not necessarily know it all, but but just know feel like we're we're competent, right? You know, I, I think that's the biggest thing. Being being competent in our abilities and, and and when people think about us, when they speak about us, we want them to feel confident enough to tell us well for to think about us as being competent in our roles and our responsibilities. Yeah. And I think as you mature you start to realize that you have some gifts and talents and you're good at some things, but you have weaknesses and you need to honor them. And I think I think our, our whole society, think about when we're growing up, you're in school, you're supposed to be good at everything, right? You're graded to be, you gotta make the A or B or whatever. And you looked at it as it's a weakness or it's a, it's a fault. It's a, it's a negative when you're not good at something. And that is absolutely untrue. So so the way I look at talent or I look at people is that God gave you some gifts and talents. Honor those. Know what they are. But you better as well know your weaknesses too. And you better you better know them. And there's reasons you better know them because you got to manage them. You can have a weakness and it can never bite you in the butt because you know how to manage it. And you know it's there. And you also rely on other team members. So like my grandfather would tell me, he said, look, you, you, you find the things you aren't good at. It, listen, you still listen. You still know what's going on, but you point them to the person that you know can do this, right? And you make sure that you get that person involved. And so that's why today I don't think you have that one mentor. You need many mentors because nobody's good at everything. Nobody has that. You can't go, I can't go to AP for everything. You know, I have to go to Matt for some things, right? Got to go to others for, for something else. And maybe none of us know who to go to. But it's our job to go find out. If I want to get that solved, I got to find somebody that, that knows. And here's what's key about that. If it's in your wheelhouse, and I, and I can't say this strongly enough, guys, 
If it's in your wheelhouse and if it's a gift of talent of yours, guess what? You could do that all day long and you'll you'll just be brimming with energy. It's not in your wheelhouse and it's not a gift of yours. Even though you've seen it from somebody else and you know how to do it, you're going to be drained if you have to do it in any given day. And if you had to do it over and over in that day, you're going to quit. You're going to go find something else to do. Yeah. So you have to be careful with that. I've learned a long time ago is you got to know where you strengths are and what you play to because you could you could do these other things for a period of time something you told me four years four four and a half years ago before i got into sales you know you asked me you know what gives you juice right and that was yep. your question to me what figure out what gives you juice what what what, what gets your, your blood going in the morning um and and steer your your career into that that's what we want our listeners to, to think about as they're making transitions or they're growing into roles does it give you juice? Do you yearn for that, you know, that alarm clock or whatever to ring and know that I'm going to attack the day? And if you don't, figure out what it does give you, right? What what does give you juice? What does give you that want and ump to uh, attack the day full head on and still at the end of the night, still be knowing that, hey, you know, tomorrow's a whole new day. I can do it all over again and, and not be drained to, to Brent's point. And, and, and that's true because the things that you're good at. And, and you can watch other people the same way. It's like you, you're playing a game. And I, I can give you example after example of people that I've seen, but I see it in my own life, is that doing detail work, I know on, on our assessments, we can assess, I can assess people against some of these competencies. And I know darn well, I don't score well on that, but I'm probably one of the better ones in the company at doing detail work. And, and my, the reason is because I'm motivated. I know it's important. And so, and I and I also copy off of others. I found other people who know how to do it and I just, I can replicate and do what they do. But if I have to write uh, more than one job description in a day, I'm gonna quit because that's a lot of detail work. Now I can do it and I can do it well, but if I had to do that day in and day out, I'm gonna quit. That's why I got a hired Daniel. I want him doing that stuff. Hey, so, but but I know if I know what I'm good at and what gives me energy, give me a problem, give me something to solve, give me something perplexing where I have to be analytical and think about it and 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 use induction and deduction and figure it out and then go solve it. Then I could do that every day, all day long, 20 hours, and not be exhausted. Catch up on some sleep in two weeks, no problem. That's what I think people need to find. Find those things that give you that because you will bring energy to what you do. You will engage others and they will come along with you. And then they will, in turn, get energy or learn it's something that's good for them or not. Very, very good lesson to learn over time. But but it starts with acknowledging you have weaknesses and, and knowing that you you can't be good at everything. So figure out what you're good at and then try to get involved and do those things. So question for the for the people who are listening out there. Why you listen? What made you look somewhere else for, for insight and answers? Probably because some of your gifts and talents drive you in a certain direction, make you inquisitive, make you want to know, make you want to perform. You've probably risen to some challenges in the past. You've probably gone out of your way and spent too much time on, on things, probably been that, that man or woman who doesn't have time, but still gets stuff done. You have to ask yourself, is it, does this ring true to you or not? Brent, when you're looking at recruiting someone, what are a couple of things you look for um, uh, during that process? Well, recruiting is like sales, guys. I mean, it's it very much is you, you have to know your product and you got to know what you're looking for. You got to know uh, questions to ask and things of that nature. So the first thing I'm looking for is I have a target. No different than than AP you have to do in sales, right? You know what you're looking for. You know you know what what somebody who might fit. What, what we can do. And so I'm looking for a competencies for the given role. That starts with really knowing what the role is and knowing what differentiates that role. So I'll start with that. So, and I'm looking to say, do, do you just fit 
that. And so I'm going to narrow down the, the group to the short list of people who have the competencies for that role. Then I'm going to look at the few candidates and I'm going to look for something differentiator. I'm really looking, particularly for Dupre, I'm looking for that servant leadership head and heart. So uh, we are a company that is looking for people that say we and not I, right? Looking for people who uh, understand that to lead others, you first have to serve others, that we turn the pyramid upside down as the, as the leader or as the boss. It's your job to serve the people that work for you. So I'm looking and I'm asking questions to try to uncover that. What What's their approach to work and, and what energizes them? What gives them juice? And does that match what we're needing in the role? Either that role or the next level above that role. I look, I look both levels, guys. I might You might be destined to be at the next level and I'm hiring you here and I'm, I'm trying to look for that as well. And then I, I really look for this this understanding of strengths and weaknesses. Do, do they know what they're good at and do they know what they're not good at and 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 is there an openness is is there an openness to 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 knowing that so they can learn how to manage those because if not it's going to be is then difficult uh for them to to accept those weaknesses and know how to manage them so do you put a lot of emphasis and effort on identifying a person's eq as well as much as their iq uh, I would say probably more so. When you're looking at, at emotional uh, intelligence or your emotional quotient, intelligence and quotient, it's really, you know, that really is about those strengths and weaknesses and, and, and how do you how do you handle that? So, so I, there's there's ways to assess this, you know, and to look at that. But I can, I can ask the same questions and based on the answers, if I know what I'm looking for in, in those particular areas, you, you know by the answers they give, whether or not it's it's their core or, or are they just kind of giving you pat answers or, or eating around the bush? So I, I think you're looking more for the for EQ, if I had to answer that, because the IQ is just explaining, they, they understand, they have knowledge of it. I want to know, do you live it? Can you apply it? Uh, can, can Are you going to be the person that, that doesn't mind teaching somebody else? And have you done it and do you like doing it? Because look, to, in today's world, you know, if you're going to be good at your job, you, you, it's got to be more than a job. And so you have to kind of tease that out. And and oftentimes the type of language and the way they respond, and I'm not just looking for answers. I'm looking for, tell me more. Tell me how you did that. Not just not just explain it. Yeah, Walk me through and give me more experiences and what happened next and here. And you usually, by the person telling the story, you usually can, can ascertain, you know, to what level. Going forward, Brent, what do you think the future of HR and transportation will look like? Good question. Um, HR, HR hasn't been the leading piece in, within transportation, mainly because it's um, safety has been more the compliance trip, right? So H, HR uh, is there, but it's uh, it, it's a fair amount of compliance with that. So where I think where I think it's leading and going is that you often hear people say, you know, HR, I don't want to seat at the table. Or I want to be at the table. Well, I think if you focus on the business first and you say, all right, can I look at what the business needs as opposed to as opposed to what HR needs? Like are people following rules or policies or things of that nature? I think it's really gonna be whether or not you can 
give something beyond that. So for, in my perspective, from an HR person, we really need to go beyond the compliance levels and look into the business. So be there and be that person that's going to, to get involved and offer assistance and learn the business. Be able, be able to participate and lead something that has nothing to do with HR. That HR is, is, is just adding value you know, there. So you're part of the operations team and you're actually helping solve some problems. And, and that, that comes from, from really getting in out there and getting your hands dirty, not necessarily just coming in when there's an HR issue. What do you think people that are looking to get into HR uh, should be doing right now to prepare for maybe a role within HR and transportation? I think it goes back to to saying what what do you think is important you know, in the in the industry in transportation. So so what what are the areas that the CHR getting involved in? And again, it, it's going to come back to from a business standpoint. What are those areas? So is it accessibility of talent? So if it, if it's talent, you know, and you're looking at okay, can we find drivers and can we find people and can we find professionals within logistics? But then you're going to have to focus on a certain skill set. So you're going to have to focus there, and you're going to have to focus more on on recruiting and recruiting in this in this environment so it's going to depend there's, there's a lot of portions to hr so it depends on where you would where your focus would be but i think if you you can't go wrong if you focus on the business if you learn you learn skills like for instance uh how, how do you map something out and see what our current process looks like and 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 where 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 does it need to improve right that that is a, a universal skill that that goes beyond support group you work with or or the business you, know, you work with can you do that can you look outside of that and can you look at either lean processes process improvement change management communications all of those things are very fairly general and are necessary in, in any role that, that you're working in and you can you can actually add value. So my my advice to HR people is listen, you can go learn the HR ins and outs and pass the HR certifications, but that doesn't mean that you're gonna be the one's phone who's gonna ring when an operations person has an issue and they need input. I think what you should strive for is you get called when it's a non-HR issue. And so that so that, so that when it is an HR issue, you you have their respect and or their attention because you go above and beyond and you you serve them. You know, it's it's truly where you're serving them, not necessarily just trying to be a, a compliance officer. I have trust with you too. I have trust. Now, I, look, I just want to run this by you. Give me your thoughts. I like the way you think. So the best thing an HR person can do is learn to ask great questions. Be inquisitive. Want to know. Really care. At the heart of servant leadership is really caring. It's really giving a crap about, you know, what's going on. About the person, about the individual. I mean, you really do care. The other thing I think that in HR we need to be good, get better at asking the questions is teaching people how to ask the right questions so that you, you so people want to stay. They stay engaged. Like you're dealing with issues before somebody wants to leave before it becomes an issue, uh, before it's a problem. Because most people leave without telling you really why they may be leaving or why they're dissatisfied or something like that. And most times it could have been something that in, a, in the moment could have been. A, and it's a, it's really about having a different mindset. It's about, about being a little more proactive, being out there more and, and understanding the people you serve. Because if you're an HR person, you're going you're to be assigned a group to work with, right? Our people are. It's like you, you work with this group. So know your group. Know what their needs are. Ask questions. Help them so that when you're needing them to do something from, from a human resource perspective, they're, they're there and they're willing and able to assist you.
Well, Brent, I certainly appreciate your your time. I think some of the things I take I took away from our conversation first is you know the importance of having multiple mentors. You know, people that you can you can seek information out of uh, that are good at uh, maybe something that you want to be good at and and, and you want to stretch and grow yourself at. Having multiple versions of people that can do things is, is always helpful for your growth. The second thing I take away is, is finding things that give you juice. You know, I never forget the conversation we had four and a half years ago about finding things that are understanding what gives you juice, what gives you uh, the want to get up in the morning, attack the day, and then curtailing your efforts to find a career into that. I think the third thing I take away is EQ and IQ are no longer mutually exclusive, right? You know, they are just as important. Um, and we have to, uh, uh, you know, if we're transitioning or growing into roles, we have to be aware. Of, of of how both those play an important part in us uh, our our success stories. So uh, I certainly thank you, Brent. And I appreciate your time um, and and the conversation. AP, I, I want to give one one final thought there, playing off of what you said. Is remember I was talking about the book I never saw my grandfather write in. I think each of us have has that book. Little did I know that he was he was writing on me. He was writing on my brothers and actually giving to them insights that today me and my, I got he's got grandsons here that get get the work done. I am the guy who has no time that people come to, but I still figure out a way to get it done. Same as you would, same as Matt does and others do because they really care, but they really are there to serve and and I think that's our that's our goal is it not to have one mentor or be one mentor i mean if someone needs something from you is to reach out and to enter to write in their book i think that's our challenge and i mean it's also i think it's our privilege i appreciate it brent yeah thank you thanks guys Thanks again to Brent Hebert for sharing his story and dropping a lot of valuable information to our audience today. You can connect with Brent via LinkedIn. The link to his bio is in the show notes. You can also connect with us via the links in the show notes to our LinkedIn profiles as well as the Driving Force podcast page. We'd love to get your feedback on the show, so please like or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, give us a rating. On next week's episode, we talk to Pat McFarlane. He's the Director of Marketing at ITS Logistics in Reno, Nevada. Until then, as always, thanks for for listening and remember you're closer to your destination than where you started don't look back don't turn back keep moving keep pushing forward <laughs>